0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7 as we continue studying through this book. We're going to do Hebrews chapter 8 next week. We have celebration weekend and then we'll do 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 in the fall. Hebrews chapter 7. Now remember, the writer is writing to a Jewish audience and this Jewish audience, they're raised with all these traditions of Judaism, all the things going on. And some of you, all of us, know when we're raised a certain way uh, and when changes come, some of those things are hard to lay down, aren't they? And so the Jewish audience is going through that. They, they've trusted in Jesus. They have a true relationship with Jesus. But it's hard to lay down those Jewish traditions. And so the writer is reminding them, here's some things you got to put down. And he's telling, them, he's telling them throughout the book of Hebrews that Jesus is greater than all of these things. All of the past. He's greater than the Levitical system. We'll see that today. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. Imagine that because there was no prophet greater than Moses. But Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's supreme over everything. And let's stop there just to say. He's supreme over all our circumstances too, isn't he? I don't know what you're going through. I talked to a guy For the first service, stage four, uh, cancer. And you may be going through some things like that. You may be going through some relationship issues. You may be going through some marriage issues. You may be going going through some kid issues. You may be going through some health issues. But Jesus is greater than. And we're going to see again today that he will give you everything you need. Whatever you're going through, he's going to give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. He promises that. Today, we're going to see specifically that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament system. We've well, we got a lot, of, a lot to cover. You can see on your notes, we have a lot of material to cover. So, we want to do this in a way that not only gives us information, but is, but is practical as well and moves uh, in our heart. So, let's begin with just establishing what the Old Testament system was so that we can see what Jesus replaced. You remember, we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and God created everything, said it was good, and He told Adam and Eve, He created Adam and Eve, said, there's this tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat the fruit of the tree, for if you eat it, you will surely what? Die. Die. Genesis 3, they eat the fruit, and death enters into the world. Now, they don't die automatically, but they start the process of physical death. There is spiritual death because there's separation from God, and if that continues, there's eternal death. So, death has entered the world. Remember the first thing that Adam and Eve did. Remember what they did? They covered themselves, right? They realized that they had sinned. Their eyes were open. Now they're afraid of this God that the day before they had communion with. And they cover themselves. And they cover themselves with leaves. Now, a leaf is a living thing. But you take a leaf off the tree, and what happens? A leaf grows back. So that was not sufficient. God said, the wages of sin is what? death. And so in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, we see the first sacrifice, the first substitute that was ever given and that was provided by God himself. And the Lord God, Genesis 3:21, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. So here we see that God made garments, garments too, of skin. So he took an animal, and he killed the animal, sacrificed for Adam, so Adam didn't have to die. And he took an animal, and he sacrificed for Eve, so Eve didn't have to die. And he made those garments of skin. And in doing that, he instituted this, what we call, substitutionary atonement, right? Something can atone for your sin. The worshiper didn't have to die. But there is a system that God puts in place that is a substitute, and it can't be a leaf off a tree. It's got to be a life. And so the animal substitute was what God provided. Now we see two parts of God's, two uh, attributes of God's character there. We see in the animal sacrifice, two important attributes of God's uh, character. We see his justice, right? He said, if you sin, you're going to die. Something's got to die sin deserves death so we see his justice and he doesn't back down on his justice since god doesn't change he's just and will for all we will always be just but we also see what else his mercy he provides a sacrifice his justice and mercy in this in this sacrificial system now if you have a system you got to have people to run the system right and so from aaron he uh, chose the first, Aaron was the first priest of this sacrificial system. And Aaron came from the tribe of Levi. So, we call this system from Levi, the Levitical system. And there's a whole book of the Bible that explains how this system works. And it is called levi right? You with me? Pretty cool. I thought that was pretty cool, actually. All right. So that comes from Levi. So we got this system going on Levitical priesthood, whole book about it. The first priest was Aaron, Moses' brother. God himself appointed Aaron. So from that point on, if you were going to be a priest in the Levitical priesthood, you had to come from the line of Aaron. To be a priest, you could not be a king. It wasn't about being a king. It wasn't about being a ruler. You were a mediator between God and man. You represented God to man and man to God. And that was the Old Testament. That was what everyone was brought up in. And the high priest was the, was the highest, the, the, the chief priest. And he was the one that would go and day of atonement and sacrifice for all the people. And before he did that, he had to sacrifice for himself. And the writer of Hebrews, again, has been laying all that out. And the writer has said, Jesus is greater than all that. Jesus is our great high priest. But if you're an Israelite, if you're Jewish, you're saying, oh, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. All through the Old Testament, if you were a priest, you had to be from the line of who? Aaron, who was from the tribe of Levi. But Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi, He's actually from the tribe of Judah. So how can Jesus, I mean, we've been taught this from, since we were little. How can Jesus be our high priest when he's not from the tribe of Levi? That's what the writer's been wanting to explain to the people he's writing to. And he's going to tell them today that Jesus is from a different order. He's not from Levi He is from an order of priesthood from a guy named, anyone know? Melchizedek. Melchizedek, From the order of Melchizedek. Now, he started that back in chapter 5. Remember? He said, Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then in uh, chapter 5, verse 11, he said, I got so much to tell you on this. I can't wait to tell you all this stuff. This is rich stuff, it's deep stuff, it's good stuff, but you're what? Doll of hearing. And that was when he started that warning, right? From 511 to 620, your doll of hearing. And we talked about that over the last three weeks. Now, in chapter seven, he says, okay, let's, start what we, let's finish what we started. Let's go back and talk about this guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek, chapter seven. Everything we know about Melchizedek is in three short passages of scripture. First, Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Secondly, Psalm 110, verse 4. And then, our passage here. So, very quickly, let, let's look at these. Genesis chapter 14. I'll set the context as you're turning there. Abraham has just gone out. He's rescued his, uh, uh, his nephew Lot, and he defeated four kings in battle, so he's victorious uh, coming back from, from battle, and as he's on his way back, just kind of, again, from our standpoint, out of nowhere, this king named Melchizedek, verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High, and he blessed him, that's Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And here's the, here's the, the kicker. Abraham gave him a tent of everything. So this guy comes out named Melchizedek, and Abraham, uh, he's blessed by Abraham. Uh, Abraham is blessed by him, and he gives Melchizedek a tent of everything. Of the plunder, remember he's just come back from defeating these. Now, if you go to Psalm chapter Psalm one ten verse four, now we're six hundred years later, and David is writing a psalm. And some of the psalms that David wrote are called uh, messianic psalms. They're looking forward to the coming Messiah. Whatever David is writing there cannot be fulfilled in that day. It's got to be sometime in the future. And so David writes a messianic psalm, Psalm 110, and he says in verse 4, the Lord has sworn forever and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Now that's not going to apply to the Levitical priests because none of them are going to be a priest forever. But you're going to be a priest forever. So we're talking about someone coming in the future, the Messiah, a priest forever. After the order of this guy that you know about in Genesis 14, after the order of Melchizedek. Then, a thousand years later, the writer of the Hebrews mentions Melchizedek again in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. So, let's just work through this again. We're going to be moving pretty quickly. Four things, four things we need to know about Melchizedek. So, our passage today does two things. We're going to look at Melchizedek, understand who he is as best we can. Then, we're going to see he's a type of Christ. He's a real person who, who, who is a lot like Jesus. He's not Jesus. He's not God, he's not an angel, he's a real person. But what he does and who he is, is a a type or a shadow or a prefiguring of Jesus. So we're going to see who Melchizedek is, and then we're going to compare him uh, to Jesus. Here we go. First of all, chapter 7, verse 1, Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. For Melchizedek, now we're in Hebrews, king of Salem... Priest of the Most High God. That's important for us. We saw that back in Genesis. He kept saying, priest of the Most High God, the Hebrew word El Yon. And that's important for us because a lot of times the Aaronic, the, the priests that came from the line of, of Aaron, the Levitical priest, they were, they were designated as, as priests of Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is a great name. We've seen that in the Old Testament. Uh, Yahweh is a to-be verb. God is, always will be. He's self-existent. And it it always describes his personal relationship he has with individuals. And so, that's beautiful. As we look at the Old Testament, he is that. He is Yahweh. And Yahweh uh, relates specifically to the Levitical priesthood. But here, this guy named Melchizedek, after that Jesus is a priest after that order, he is the king of El Elyon. And El Yon means possessor of heaven and earth. He's a possessor of everything. Not, just this, not the, just this covenantal relationship with Israel, but everything and everyone. Now that's significant because that's who Jesus is. He's not just the priest and king of Israel, right? But of the whole world. So we'll see Jesus becomes a, a type of Melchizedek. Secondly, Melchizedek was the king of Salem. So we see this in uh, chapter 1. We see two things, and uh, uh, the writer's going to explain this in, in, in verse 2. For, uh, go back. Yeah, you go, there you go. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, met, met Abraham returning uh, from slaughtering the kings. So two things we need to know about Melchizedek. First of all, his name His name means, he's not like King Saul or King David, but his name means king of righteousness. If you split it up, Malki means king, and and, uh, Zedok means uh, righteousness. So he's the, just in his name, it means the king of righteousness. And he's also, that's what his name means, and he's also, as his responsibility, he's the king of Salem, and the word Salem means peace. So here you have a king, Melchizedek, whose name means king of righteousness and who is the king of Salem. The word Salem means peace. He's the king of righteousness and peace. And who is that? That's Jesus. That's why Melchizedek is a type of Jesus. We see that Philippians chapter, many verses, but let me give you two. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Talking about Jesus and to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Our righteousness comes from Jesus. He is our king of righteousness. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then He also gives us our peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have Peace. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ, so Melchizedek is this type or figure of Jesus. Jesus is from the order of Melchizedek. Number three, Melchizedek's priesthood was uninterrupted. Look at verse three. He was without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning, uh, beginning nor end of days, but resembling. The son of God, that resembling means he's a type of, or he's a prefiguring of, or he's a shadow of. He looks something like the son of God because he continues as a priest forever. Now, this does not mean, as some commentators say, that Melchizedek is an eternal being. He is not. It doesn't mean that he was an angelic being. He was not. He was a king, a person. And when the writer says he had no beginning or end no genealogy it simply means that normally in the old testament we have the genealogy we see when a person was born and we see when a person dies but when you look at Melchizedek we don't have that so he we just see the snapshot of him so it's it's as if he didn't have a beginning and he he did have a beginning but it's as if he didn't because we just see this snapshot it's as if he didn't have an end but he did but we just see this snapshot and so the writer is saying in that, within that snapshot, he looks a lot like Jesus because he just continues forever. There's, there's not a record of his birth or death. He continues forever in our snapshot as a king. Four, Melchizedek's priesthood was superior to the priesthood of Aaron. Now, this would have been critical for the writer to explain to his readers because they're going with the Levitical system. How in the world is Melchizedek's priesthood superior to Aaron? By the way, it's just cool, isn't it? That God has the nation of Israel. He has a system set up. And we read about that in the Old Testament. And we see that. And we get to learn about God through that. But that's not all the work he did in the world. He was working in other parts of the world then too. We've got this guy Melchizedek down in Salem who knows him, who loves him, who follows him. So this gives us a beautiful picture of the other things going on in the world that God was doing in the world during the Old Testament times. All right, look at verse four. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. I mean, Abraham, he's the father of our nation. And yet Abraham bowed before this guy and gave him a tithe. See how great this guy must have been? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have, command, <clears throat> have a commandment in the law to take tithes from people, that is, from the brothers, uh, though these also are descended uh, from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. And look at verse 7. It, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. It's beyond dispute that Melchizedek is the superior, blessing Abraham, at that point, the inferior. And the writer keeps driving this home. It's Jesus who is from the order, not of Aaron, not of Levi, the tribe of Levi, but he is from the order of Melchizedek. Now, having established who Melchizedek is, the best we can, Now, he begins to compare Jesus' priesthood to the priesthood of Melchizedek. Look at verse uh, 7, or chapter 7, verse 11, sorry. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one after the order of Aaron. If the Levitical priesthood would have accomplished everything God wanted it to accomplish, it was good in and of itself. It just wasn't complete. If it had accomplished everything God wanted to accomplish, why would there be another order of priesthood? Why would there be Melchizedek? Look at verse 12. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change... In the law as well. Now let's just stop there and think about that. That's going to be interesting for the Jewish person thinking about the law of the Old Testament because that was what they they went by, right? So now there's a change in the law. Notice it doesn't say the law was eliminated, talking about the moral law, but there was a change in the moral law. Now, how could that be? What would be the change? Well, the law in and of itself just tells you what to do and what not to do, right? But it has no power to do anything. It just tells you what's, what's right and what's wrong. I love the commercial. I can't think of that. I don't even know what it's advertising. But um, a guy's robbing a bank, and they go in, and there's this guard standing there, and everybody gets on the floor, and this lady looks at the guard and says, Do something! Well, I don't know. What's What's the commercial? Geico, probably, yeah. Uh, and, 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 the, and the lady says, do something. And remember what the guy says? Oh, no, no, no. I'm just a security monitor. I'm not a security guard. There's a robbery going on. That's what he says. There's a robbery going on. I'm just a monitor. Well, that's the law. The law says, I'm just a monitor. I can't do anything about it. I just tell you, you shouldn't be doing that. Or you should be doing that. But now, there's a change in the law. Now the law comes to completion because not only does the law now tell us don't do that, but it tells us in Christ the Holy Spirit lives in you and you have the power not to do that. The law not only says do that, but in Christ you have the power to do that. Let's just stop there for a second. Again, I don't know what you're going through. But you may be up against something, and you may be saying, you know, this is bigger than me. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm overwhelmed by this. Maybe it's something God's calling you to do, and, and you're just saying, I don't think I can do it. I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can make the changes in my life to do that. Well, I just want to remind you, if God's calling you to do it, he'll give you everything you need to get it done. Maybe you're up against the temptation. Some of you may be up against the temptation, and it is extremely overwhelming to you. In fact, I bet there's some in here about ready to throw their marriage away in an affair. And you're saying, I'm just overwhelmed by this. I don't think I can resist. That's a lie. And that's a lie from Satan. Because you can resist. God gives us everything we need to do what he's calling us to do. You see, with Jesus now, it's not just the law that says don't do that. It's don't do that, and I'll give you the power not to do that. It's not just the law that says do that. It says you need to do that, but I got, you the, I, I got your back. I, got you, I give you the power to do that. So whatever you're going through, God's going to give you whatever you need to get it done. And that's why the writer is arguing here that after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus provides a better priesthood. It's not just the daily sacrifice thing. It's not just telling you not to do something. It's not just telling you to bring your animal to sacrifice. Jesus is the better priest because he came and he died for our sins. One time for all time. The perfect sacrifice. And rose from the dead and now through his spirit gives us everything we need. No priest could do that. No Levitical priest could do that. Only Jesus can after the order of Melchizedek. All right, second one. After the order of Melchizedek, Jesus provides a better hope. The the, the writer explains that Jesus is not our high priest just based on his ancestry, just based on his lineage. Look at verse 13. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, for which no one else ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So here Jesus is coming from another tribe. Moses in the law never said a priest should come from Judah. Here's a different priest. Here's the one who fulfills it all. He is after the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 15. That becomes more evident. When another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, not from lineage, but by the power of, I love this, an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek you know we think a lot of the attributes of God we think about his omnipresence he's everywhere at the same time in his full being we think about his omnipotence he's all powerful nothing he can't do we think about his his omniscience he knows everything there is to know about everything there is to know we go through all the attributes of God but just add this word I never thought about adding this word to the attributes of God but there it is isn't it indestructible don't you love that powerful that's a strong word Jesus is indestructible he took on death itself and robbed the grave. He took on the last enemy and defeated it. They tried to kill him, and they put him to death, but he came back to life just as God promised. Jesus is indestructible. He is a priest forever. That's where our hope is. So our hope is not in ourselves our hope is not in some uh, Levitical system or any other tradition or system you might have grown up with. Our hope has to be in one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus Christ. He is indestructible. Look at verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because it was Because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. The law couldn't do that. Remember? It just tells you what not to do and what to do. It's important for that. It's our tutor. It's our teacher. But it doesn't have any power to do anything. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And that better hope is Jesus. The law is weak. It's incomplete. But Jesus comes and gives us the power to do everything we're called to do. Okay, here's another one. After the order of Melchizedek, Jesus provides a better covenant. Let's check that out. How is it a better covenant? Well, first, we see that Jesus is a better covenant because Jesus is the guarantor of the covenant. Look at verse uh, 20. And it's not without oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made... A priest, Jesus, was made a priest by an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor or the the sponsor or the underwriter or the supporter or the one who's responsible for the better covenant. See, the covenant we have with God that we trust in Jesus alone is the only way we have a relationship with the living God. And trusting in him, we have eternity to look forward to. That's the covenant we have. And Jesus is the, if you will, the sponsor of that covenant. He is the one responsible for that covenant. He is the one who who establishes and holds up that covenant. And we can have confidence in that fact that we know as believers, we close our eyes in death, we wake up in eternity. And that's in the future. But right now, we can have the the abundant life, the life that God has for us. We can have the best that God has for us here on this earth because Jesus is the guarantor of the covenant. He's also, it's a better covenant because Jesus made it permanent. Look at verse 23. The former priests were many in number But they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So he's telling the readers that Levitical system, it was good as far as it went, but but the priest kept dying. So you had Aaron, and then he died. And then his son Eleazar took over, and then he died. And then his son, Phineas, took over, and then he died. In fact, when the, when, the writer, when the readers are reading this, the temple is still standing in Jerusalem. It's going to be destroyed in about 70 AD. Most people don't think the temple was destroyed when the, writers, or when the readers were reading this. So there is a high priest in the temple serving right now. It could have been uh, one of two guys. Uh, it could have been... Uh, uh, Phineas ben Samuel, who served from 67 to, to 70. Or, or sorry, sixty-five, uh, Mathis ben Theophilus, who served from 65 to 70. Or Phineas ben Samuel, who served from 67 to 70. Could have been one of those guys. They were the high priests. They, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus says that by the, uh, from Aaron to the last priest, who was uh, uh, Phineas ben Samuel, there were 83 priests. 83. One came, one died, another came, another died, another came, another died. But now, and that would happen in, in the order of Aaron. But Jesus is not of the order of Aaron, is he? Order of Melchizedek. That changed with Jesus. Look at verse 24. But he holds his priesthood, what? Permanently because he continues forever. And then just, you got you to underline verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost, uttermost. He is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So the writer is saying, "You want to go? You want to go? You want to follow the old priesthood? Those guys die." You want to put your confidence in a person who dies? Well, that's a good idea. But here's Jesus. He's a priest forever, after this order of Melchizedek. And he's indestructible. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's interceding for you right now. That's the one you want to follow. That's the one you want to give your life to. It's a better one more thing. It's a better covenant because Jesus is perfect forever. Real quick, look at verse 26. Whole list of things that describe uh, Jesus. The writer puts down, did we uh, uh, for it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest who is holy. Jesus is holy. He is he is the perfect accomplishment of all God required. There is no deficiency or failure in him. He was fully man and yet he was set apart from us. That's why he could be our sacrifice. Jesus is innocent, the writer says. He is blameless. He's without guilt. Uh, first Peter says that he was, a, he was like a, a lamb without blemish or spot. We're saved by the blood of Jesus, like a lamb without blemish or spot. The writer says he is pure. No condemnation in him at all. Even though he came in contact with sinful human beings, he remained pure. He's separated from sinners. Being sinless, Jesus is the only one who can be a sinless sacrifice for us on the cross. And Jesus is exalted above the heavens. Right now, as the writer has been telling us, he is sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is perfect forever. That's why we have confidence. Our confidence is not in and of ourselves. We'll talk more about Melchizedek and, and that priesthood uh, with Jesus next, next time. But our confidence is not in and of ourselves, it's all about Jesus. We don't gain our salvation, we can't keep our salvation. Only Jesus, our priest forever, indestructible, holy, blameless, pure, separated from sinners, sitting at God's right hand. All right, I'm gonna wrap this thing up. Last three weeks. We've been talking about eternal security. And man, uh, you know, that, that is such a, a, a truth. We need to nail down as true believers. We need to know that we are a child of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And again, that is just, that's, that's drilled home as the writer looks at Jesus uh, after the order of Melchizedek. And we've been talking about eternal security and the freedom that gives us. Uh, the freedom to obey, not a license to sin, but the freedom to obey. So i want to do one thing before we close. Spent three weeks on eternal security. Powerful, powerful uh, doctrine, truth for true believers. But I got to tell you, there's only one thing worse than not, have, than not understanding as a tr- Christian the doctrine of eternal security, right? What is it? Having false security. Thinking. Thinking that you're a believer and you're not. That's worse. And so I, as we wrap this thing up today, I just want to put out that, that, that warning, that truth. Eternal security is for a true believer and we've seen in a true believer's life there's a sign of that there's a there's a spiritual heartbeat it may be faint we just looked at the people in Hebrews man they they were dull hearing they weren't where they should be but there's a heartbeat and only you know if you have a spiritual heartbeat but please do not do not fool yourself into thinking You know, when I was eight years old, my mom came in and said, Do you want to be a Christian? And I said sure. And so I knelt on my bed and I trusted in Jesus. Now I've not lived for him these last 30 years or 20 years. Not, you know, I don't read my Bible. I don't have I don't show any fruit, but I trusted in that's false security. You see, there's gotta be a sign of life. Well, I was at this thing and I walked, my friend said, hey, let's go down front. And so I walked down an aisle. I trusted in, I think I was 11, I trusted in Jesus. No real sign of anything in my life. That's false security. Yeah, I signed a card. Yeah, I was at an event, signed this card, passed it in. They told me I was a believer. False security. it. I don't have time for this, but I'm going to take time. I've got to tell you a quick story. I did marriage counseling a long time ago. I'm not very good at it. That's why I quit. Uh, but this couple came in. <laughs> this couple came in, and I said, look, your issue is you don't know Christ. That's your issue. And he said, oh, tell me about it. So I shared the gospel with him. He said, you know, and I said, you want to do that? He said, yeah, I'll do that. So we prayed, and he repeated the prayer. And First and only time I ever did this, I reached over my desk and said, welcome to the kingdom of God. And he said, great, now make my wife do it. (laughs) See, he didn't get it, did he? He prayed the prayer. He just didn't get it. And I don't want anyone in here not to get it. Eternal security, oh, man, what a powerful doctrine that gives us freedom to obey. But having false assurance, now that's eternally tragic. Let's cut to our campuses and the worship teams will come out. And as the worship teams are, are coming out here, as Kirk's coming out, let's just let's bow our heads and, and, and pray. Just bow your heads for a second. This is between you and God. To so be honest, you have it or not. Have you trusted in Christ or not? Are there signs of it or not? Do you know in your heart of hearts, yeah, I, got that. I, I, I have trusted in Christ. He has changed my life. Boy, I am far from perfect. Man, I am far from perfect. But I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me. And, and when I sin, and I do sin, 1 John says, if, if, if we say we have no sin in us, we're, uh, we're, we're a liar and the truth isn't in us. So I sin, but when I sin, I feel that conviction. And, and it's, it's, always not, it's always not immediate. But I, I repent and I come back. I change. I ask God's forgiveness. Do you know that you know that you know you're a child of a living God? Man, if you don't know that today, if you don't know that, today's the day. I'm gonna pray. Uh, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm not gonna pray a prayer that you repeat. I'm just gonna pray for you and then we'll be up here afterwards to pray with you. Father, I, I, I thank you that you promise us that we have this confidence because of Jesus, because who he is, our, our, our priest forever, our mediator forever, sitting at your right hand, indestructible, sitting at your right hand, interceding for us. Man, we thank you for Jesus. And for those of us who know that we know that we know, we just right now... Thank you that there was a time when you interrupted our life. You brought us to yourself, and as far from perfect as we are, we see signs of life on that on that spiritual heartbeat monitor. But Father, I pray for those right now who think they are a Christian because they went through a confirmation class or because they they were baptized. Or because they walked down an aisle, or because they prayed at the bedside of uh, with their mom when they were seven, that they may well be a Christian. But Lord, don't don't let them put their security in that if they've if there's been no evidence of it since then. And I pray that today's the day when they say, "I'm going to make this thing sure. I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm I don't want to be an almost Christian. I want to make it certain today." Work in their heart right now, I pray, Lord, so that that becomes certain today. In Jesus' name, amen.